The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to You're Gonna Love Me, the podcast where we open the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of anyone who has judged or been judged. Well, hopefully. I'm your host, Katie Maloney. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to an all episode of You're Gonna Love Me. And today I'm really excited because I feel really, truly honored to have this guest here with me. When I first met her and chatted with her, I was very inspired and just kind of blown away by her entire message and story. And I think she's absolutely voice of our generation. We have so much to learn from her. She's an activist, advocate, media personality. So a a billion different things all rolled into one incredible human being. So welcome, Ashley Marie Preston. I just jumbled my words. (laughs) Ashley Marie Preston. There we go. Get it out of your mouth, Katie. Well, you didn't call me Lisa Marie Presley because (laughs) some people do that. They're like, I know that name. Oh, my God. (laughs) Just like Freudian slip. No. (laughs) Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much. So for everyone that doesn't know, can you explain more of what you do? Because you really do so many things, so many amazing things. So the activism work, you are social commenter for a million different outlets, but. Yeah, you Google polymath and my (laughs) picture shows up. And I think a lot of that is rooted in survival. Mm -hmm. I think because I've been in various predicaments in my life where if one thing didn't pan through, then I had to have a plan B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way through to Z. And a lot of it too, you know, being an activist, social impact strategist, organizer is I have had a lot of institutions and entities attempt to silence me. And I'm sure we'll go into that in a moment. And so because of that, you got to think three, four, five, six, seven steps ahead. And so, yeah, like I do it all. I, I'm a cultural commentator. I'm actually a producer. So I use storytelling as a medium for movie messaging and not just in entertainment or film and TV, but in fashion, visual activism, basically thinking about ways to reach the masses. And I feel when we talk about social justice and education and advocacy, a lot of those spaces feel so esoteric that a lot of people can't access them because they don't have the language to interact. A lot of it is highbrow and over the head. And so what I've been trying to do ultimately as a healer, I would consider myself more than anything a healer and a light worker. And so through storytelling, I get to think of innovative ways to meet people where they are. And so that's why when you Google me, there's a million one things that come up because Mm -hmm. I think as a healer and as a light worker and storyteller, there are an array of opportunities to connect with people, especially in the digital age. Yeah, oh gosh. It, that can also be a very scary place. Meeting people <laughs> oh, in the yeah. digital age, so many people can relate to. But also, I mean, if you do just also like Google search, you could probably find out. And I, I mean... You could do just sort of the the Cliff Notes version of like your your backstory because I mean it it's it is 
wild. And when I heard you tell your story in another, another place, but I was just floored because yeah. the fact that you are here today doing the work that you're doing, given everything that you've been through is so remarkable and inspiring. So just, is there like a way to tell it? Like a, a short story? Yeah, definitely. Without- I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, AKA the land of God doesn't make mistakes. And so not having language to describe trans identity in Louisville, Kentucky in the mid nineties was really hard for me as a child. So I threw myself into my reading and education and religion. I was really big in church. I was a dare kid, everything. Oh God. I remember remember (laughs) dare in middle school for sure. Did you all do the graduation too? I don't, I don't think I went all the way through it, but like (laughs) I had a shirt for sure. I I had a shirt, a shirt. Yeah. (laughs) It was, I was one of those. And I think Looking back in hindsight, I was just trying to find ways to make myself lovable because I just felt that I was everything but. And I had some unfortunate things happen to me. I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and physical abuse and all these other things. So by the time I graduated, which I barely did, I decided that I was going to get away from there. Anna Nicole Smith was one of my biggest idols (laughs) at that time. And I was like, I'm going to be like Anna Nicole and I'm going to get out of here and and I'm just going to like live life. I can't say we didn't live life. And so I came out to California at 19 years old. I saved up my little money at the airport that I was working at. And my life began here. And eventually I found my community. Like, I didn't even know that trans identity was a thing. Like, I knew that my insides didn't match my outsides, but I didn't know that there was language for it. I didn't know that there was a community. I didn't know that there was, I thought that I was just different. And so I was so excited to understand who I was that I immediately transitioned on the job and not everyone shared the same enthusiasm that I had. And believe it or not, what was awkward was that the cis hetero men that I work with, and I want to rewind that just for people who may not know what cis-hetero means. So the cis is short for cisgender, which means that the gender you identify with is in alignment with the sex that you were assigned at birth. So if you were assigned female at birth and you identify as a woman, you would be considered cisgender. And obviously hetero means that you're attracted to the opposite sex. And so there's a lot of, you know, rhetoric that hetero men are like unaccepting and, you know, violent. And there are many examples of that in the world. But on that job, they were actually nice to me. It was actually the cisgender women who were cruel and would tease the guys for befriending me or being nice to me and would try to imply that there was something going on or, you know, all those things. And so I eventually went to HR about the bullying and the bullying even went up to my supervisors. My supervisors were bullying me. It was really intense. And instead of doing the right thing, launching an an investigation and making sure that they were judicious and, you know, responsible and how they took the complaint, they fired me because... I was deemed a liability and a disruption to the workplace milieu, 
what that meant for me was that not having income anymore, I lost my apartment. I ended up on the streets of Hollywood. I tried to get into a, a, a homeless shelter, but at that time, this is like 2004, the women's shelters were like, technically, because you weren't assigned female at birth, we could lose our funding. So we unfortunately can't take you. And I was so desperate that I was willing to go to a men's shelter. I just wanted to be able to sleep, to have food and to shower. They wouldn't even take me because of how I look. Like I look like my mother. So it's like I couldn't, there was no way that I could try to I, I guess, masculinize myself in a way that would make them feel comfortable admitting me. And the couple of times I got into a shelter, I was actually sexually assaulted twice by staff members, once by a staff member, once by oh a security guard. Ew. So I ended up back on the streets because in that instance, the streets ended up being a little bit safer than the shelter that I was trying to find housing and support in. And Wild. I ended up on methamphetamine as a social lubricant to help me navigate all of the gut-wrenching, heart-shattering things that I had to do in the name of survival and to also help me stay up at night because if I didn't, you know, get a date or turn a trick or however you want to frame that, then it means I didn't have money for a hotel and I was outside and it could be really dangerous with no place to sleep on the streets. And so fast forward, a lot of my friends and people that I cared about didn't have the kind of happy ending that I did. They found some of them dead in hotel rooms, in dumpsters, one of them in a hotel room. Unfortunately, nine times out of 10, it was not of natural causes. They were either murdered or overdosed, or many of them to this day are caught up in the throes of the prison industrial complex. So they they have a record from here to Minnesota for crimes of survival, you know, and Unlike a lot of them, I came through it unscathed. I don't have a record. I just didn't get caught. <laughs> Praise be. I am HIV negative. Most of my mental faculties are in order. <laughs> and what I realized is that the things that I thought made me broken and unworthy of love, acceptance, and community are now symbols of beauty and strength. And I use those experiences as the light at the end of the tunnel for those who are still navigating the shadows of those realities. And I think that that's where my work began as a healer, because a lot of times these wellness and healing spiritual spaces are not only esoteric and just kind of like, you know, kind of cultish and weird, but they don't really tap into the human condition. It seems as if there's a great deal of spiritual bypassing, meaning individuals are using spirituality as a shield to absolve themselves of actually doing the complex, gritty, difficult work that it takes to become evolved and to transform. They don't want to do the shadow work. They don't want to also be transparent about their own experiences. You know, there's this whole, you know, guru culture that, you know, I am divine and come to me with your brokenness and fucked upness and, and I will fix you. But very few talk about their own demons and their own journey and their own healing and mm -hmm. their own. And I think that that's how I'm completely transforming that space is in 
talking about what it was like for me. And what's interesting is that even as a black trans woman who's dealt with like eating disorders my whole life and addiction and all of these different things, I feel that there is a universal pain yeah. that people can relate to despite where they come from and their background and their race and their orientation or gender identity and all of those things. I think that we're all collectively experiencing this paradigm shift where the superficial veneer that hit a lot of that pain has been cracked and it's being lifted. And so now a lot of us are vulnerable and exposed and more than ever stories like mine are important. And so that's what I've been doing over the last seven years is figuring out how to not only tell that story, but to to help elevate and amplify stories that are different from mine, stories of immigrants and, you know, people who have been incarcerated and, you know, people with disabilities and, you know, the aging population and all of these sub-communities that we often ignore or overlook, you know, obviously houselessness. Like there is such villainization and demonization of people who are unhoused. And so that's what I'm doing. It's time for a break. So we got to talk about cookies. <laughs> My favorite cookies. And I'm sure you've seen dough on Instagram and all the celebrities are eating it. It was on Shark Tank. I'm obsessed because I love cookie dough. I love cookies in general. And they have some incredible, amazing flavors. And they just came out with one. It's mint chocolate chip. It tastes like Thin Mints. It is so so good but they have so many amazing flavors i mean you can never go wrong with chocolate chip am i right and theirs is the best um so dough is spelled d-e-u-x and they make delicious enhanced cookie dough that is correct and you can eat it raw or bake it it cooks in literally seven minutes and what's great is they've taken out all the bad ingredients and it's made with things that are actually good for you like oats and almond butter flaxseed coconut sugar and everything is vegan gluten-free soy free just none of the bs and we'd love to see that and i like it because it's almost like incorporating it into my skincare Truly, honestly, because each flavor is enhanced with a different function. So chocolate chip has immunity vitamins like zinc and elderberry. The brownie batter has collagen boost for your skin with aloe vera and vitamin C. And birthday cake has ashwagandha for stress release. So it's like you're, you know, you're getting a little something sweet, but also doing something good for yourself. So if you want to buy dough, which I highly recommend you do, they have an exclusive discount, which they never do. And it's 20% off and free shipping with code LOVEME at www.eatdough.com. And that's spelled E-A-T-D-E-U-X dot com. And promo code LOVEME for 20% off. Trust me, it is to die for. You're going to love it. Take a spoon to it if you want. Or just, you know, pop them in the oven for seven minutes and enjoy. All right, let's get back to the show. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. As a leading functional medicine practitioner, I have had the unique position to see so many alchemize their pain and health problems to their purpose. Now I want the same for you. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers where there is a fresh infusion of grace and lightness into wellness. This is the art of being well. Join me every Thursday for a new episode.
what you said also too is just like the similarities that we all have mm. that is the, of the human condition when you break it down and, and figure out what that is whether you I told you last night that I watched your TED talk mm-hmm. of of people when you in the beginning of she has a really amazing TED talk you should all go watch it but you had people hold hold up their hands and said have you ever experienced fear or feeling small and all these things that are just not necessarily basic but you know they're they are simple if you if when you present it in that way and in that light when when you're able to look around the room and just say like wow we all have experienced these things mm-hmm. we all are similar in our condition and conditions of things that we've all experienced in that form but then when we really try to start to relate to one another we have things like ego mm-hmm. and such <laughs> that get in the way Mm-hmm. which is really unfortunate. And I think when we're talking about things like oppression or past traumas, it's always this like fight of like wanting to be heard. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of our responses to one another's pain is rooted in fear. It, well, it's scarcity and scarcity is a byproduct of fear. And it's the fear that we'll never have enough or that we'll never be enough. Damn. That's true. And so if I, you know, (laughs) (laughs) this single slice ideology. So what would it look like to be able to see your pain and your trauma and your experiences and be able to show up for you and know that that doesn't diminish my truth or my experience and to actually recognize in that moment that our liberation is linked. Yeah. And we see that now and even with the conversation around Roe v. Wade and Mm -hmm. There are so many people that are like, wow, like we didn't see this coming and, you know, they're coming for us and like who's next. And it's like, it's not who's next. It's who they actually came for first. And it was the trans community. Yeah. And a lot of times we get caught up in these respectability politics that are authored by institutions and entities who don't respect any of us. They don't Can you res- explain what respectability politics are. So respectability politics are essentially belief systems that deem other communities more worthy of dignity, safety, access, and respect based on their identity. So for instance, for religious reasons, there may be some people who think like, well, the Bible says, you know, this about these people. And because of that, the violence you face, the socioeconomic disparity you face, the, you know, all of these different things, like the, you somehow deserved it, or you somehow brought it on yourself because you weren't, conforming to this, you know, this social norm of what it means to be worthy of such. And the reality is that I've been trying to elevate the conversation around Roe v. Wade to really be about bodily autonomy for everyone, for every community, all bodies, all people. And the truth is that I think of the... um, Protestant priest that opposed Adolf Hitler during World War II and I'm going to totally butcher and paraphrase the the quote, but he essentially said, you know, they came for the the trade unionists, but I wasn't a unionist. So I said nothing. They came for the Jews. I I wasn't a Jew. So I said nothing. And when they came for me, there was no one left to speak for me. And uh, the reality there is that, again, 
our liberation is linked in the same systems and institutions and faction of society that have the power to make a decision and use your body as a political playground are the same people that would come for all of us, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that being said, I think that that's, you know, even addressing in the TED Talk is that The truth is that we may have all of these different experiences and different identities and different ideals or, you know, definitions of what it means to be liberated. But one thing is for certain, cross-cultural solidarity is the only thing that will yield dignity, safety, and access for all of us. Mm -hmm. And so my freedom, my safety, my independence, my ability to access you know, every inalienable human right and resource is contingent upon my ability to show up for you. It's contingent upon my ability to show up for people who may not have the same background and lived experience. And, but at the end of the day, knowing that equity is equity and equality is equality. And if we're not careful, we become the thing on the micro that we're trying to dismantle at the macro level. Right. But I think what people have a hard time understanding is that just because your lived experience is different from others doesn't mean there's not parallels there. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean there can't be levels of understanding there. But I think, especially in like the last couple of years, there's been a lot of messages that are a lot of crossed wires that have mm-hmm. like happened. Intersectionality. In, in yeah. one, 100%. And so I think, especially, especially online, <laughs> go back to online, you know, there's, you know, mob mentalities and there's people coming for other people. And I think it's just kind of like wanting to understand. It's like, okay, I get it. But like, where do we go from here? Because I feel like you talk about like healing and what's, you know, yeah. and you're, you, the way out of just the way you award things. I'm over here like. <laughs> <laughs> Social media, it's been very unfortunate to watch the evolution and growth of these platforms play out. Because initially, I remember, ooh, I'm about to age myself. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when the AOL disc came in the mail and you had to hook it up to the phone line <laughs> so nobody could use the internet and the phone at the same time. And, same. and you heard the <laughs> like all the robotic <laughs> yeah. sounds. And I remember that sound was so euphoric. It was a drug because those like noises and static and robot sounds meant that I was actually being connected to something and someone and some place where I could actually be affirmed in my identity and who I was. And behind that screen, I could just be myself. Mm-hmm. And fast forward in the woke era, <laughs> you know, there's this thing where social media has become a place where public displays of accountability are being consumed as entertainment. And it's also one of those things. And it's kind of like unfortunate and tricky because I am kind of like in this interesting like middle ground where a lot of my activist friends are like, cancel culture is not real. That's just something that like white people say because they're trying to avoid taking accountability for the harm that they cause. And on the other side, I have friends that are like, 
no, cancel culture totally is real. And it's one of those things where, you know, this is just happening. And then I'm in the middle and I'm like, cancel culture is real. It's just a matter of who it applies to. And it's disproportionately applied toward women, people of color, trans and queer people. It is real. And so it's one of those things where I, again, have in this healing journey, I've had the opportunity to even talk about my own evolution and growth. And I think, again, that's the thing about wokeism that's missing is that in order to be woke, you first have to concede that you were once asleep. And that is the piece that's missing. No one wants to talk. Literally, I can tell you the day, hour, time that we all became woke. It was in 2012. I don't know what happened in 2012. There was some kind of, you know, it is the end of the Mayan calendar. I don't know. Yeah, well, the world was supposed to end. Yeah. And it didn't. So. And, and, and essentially, maybe it was a consciousness, like a an antiquated consciousness or archaic consciousness that ended. But all of a sudden, we became aware of things, you know, like we're not supposed to do accents and like nail shot and impersonate nail shot people and do all these different things and say all these problematic things. And it was a hard time for me because I'm also, again, I'm from Six Flags over Mitch McConnell. So like I (laughs) came to L.A., with a trick bag of all of the wrong shit to say, all of the wrong things uh, to believe and to think. And, And over the years, like over the course of a decade, I have not only grown as a person and built like community and family with some of the most remarkable people that are out changing and transforming the world, but my gift and... And even like as someone who has over 10 years clean and sober, March 11, 2012 is my sobriety date. Oh my God. Congratulations. Thank amazing. you. I now get to like share or help draw out a blueprint mm-hmm. for what that looks like. And that is, it, it juxtaposes weirdly against this culture, this gotcha culture or aha culture or, you know, and it's kind of just like, so for me, What I use the internet for (laughs) is a space where I can just share authentic experiences and stories and give people a space where they can relate free of judgment. One of the biggest, I guess, like growth moments for me has just been learning not to judge myself. And when I'm better at not being hard on myself, it, it mitigates the urge to judge you. And when you do something or when you do get it wrong, to be willing to have a conversation. Because one of the most profound thoughts that I had while journaling in 2019, which completely transformed my advocacy and activism, was I asked myself the question, do you want to be right or do you want to be impactful? Wow. And some people would say, well, you can do both at the same time. And it's like, okay, but let's explore intention. The need to be right is rooted in ego. Mm-hmm. And the need to be or the, or the desire to be impactful is centered on service and elevating humanity as a whole. And so that means I'm willing to let people think all the wrong things about me and to say things that may or may not be true and to truly believe in my heart and with all of my being 
that I'm doing the thing that's going to elevate us collectively. It means that if somebody doesn't agree with me, I'm not just going to jump on them and like tell them how stupid they are <laughs> and how wrong they are. Because one of the things I learned during that chapter of my spiritual journey was that shame is not an effective tool of transformation. Right. It's just not like we don't win hearts. We don't change minds by making people feel ignorant, by delegitimizing or invalidating their experiences, even in the instances where they've actually activated harm toward us. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm just really learning and I hate it because it sounds so cliche and cheesy, but it really is that hurt people hurt people. 100%. And so I've been able to tap into this gift where I can see the hurt. I know exactly where you're hurting. I may not know the catalyst. I may not know how far back the hurt goes, but I'm typically good at being able to actually see an actual person. Even deeper than that, I'm able to interact with people's inner child. And sometimes that inner child is adorable. Sometimes it's bratty as fuck and it throws toys <laughs> yeah. and like hides like, you know, shit and, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I, in my own healing and reconnecting with my own inner child, I have learned to interact and play well with other people's inner children. And what I can tell you is that that has been such a profound way to frame healing because we really don't change that much. We we collect language. Right. We collect responsibilities and different things that we have to do and we have to adult and we have to do all of these different things. But ultimately, in my healing journey as a rape survivor, as someone who has, you know, overcome addiction and all these different things, this moment in my life is my homecoming. Mm. I'm returning to my body because a lot of the trauma that I experienced, the only tool that I had was disassociation. And so coming yeah. home, this homecoming and returning to my body means I get to reconnect with that inner child and make amends for abandoning them. Wow. And, and making up for that by moving forward, you know, with forgiveness and kindness and compassion and, you know, working out and like eating certain things that I, I may not necessarily gravitate toward, but <laughs> just yeah. really trying to be the best version of myself. And so I think that I've been successful in a lot of this work so far because I'm not talking at people or over them, but I'm talking to them at eye level. Meeting them yeah. Where they're at, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I guess, the way forward, you yeah. know? But they don't want us doing that, though. Who? They, the <laughs> systems, of, the power is, is that be the, uh. the, because like when we think about oppression, there's two things that I understand about oppression. One, it's meant to shatter you from the inside out, mm -hmm. it's meant to impede your ability to dream, to aspire, to empower, to create, envision all of these different things that make life worth living. Right. And then, secondly, it only works if we're at one another's throats. 
So so if, if the whole point in this whole thing was is to keep everyone at war with one another, divide then, and conquer, then fuck that. We gotta we gotta love on each other and work together. Yes, I think about it like a game of whack a mole. If they hit. <laughs> One over the head, then the other comes up. The other mole yeah. comes up. You hit that mole and another one comes up. We are the moles. They mm-hmm. hit one community over the head, then the other one comes up for their rights. They hit them over the head and then they come up. What would happen if all the if all the moles rose at once? They wouldn't know <laughs> what to do. They wouldn't know which direction, which mm-hmm. they wouldn't know game over. And so that is why it is imperative. And I just cannot emphasize enough that cross-cultural solidarity truly is the key. It truly is coalition building. It truly is sitting across the table from people that you may not necessarily agree with or, but I don't have to necessarily understand your life choices to respect your social and bodily autonomy and right to be able to show up and exist in the world in ways that feel right for you. All right, we got to take a teeny tiny break. (laughs) So when they say that mental health is a journey, they mean that. And that is why it is so important to prioritize your mental health and wellness every single day. Because when you work on yourself, it just brings positive changes in all areas of your life. And the long-term effects of therapy can give you the tools to deal with the challenges as they arise and strengthen your relationships and just give you a more positive outlook on life. And there is no better time to invest in yourself than right now. And Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform that has thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. And your therapists can help you set and achieve your goals. They're there for you. I can't say enough good things about Talkspace and everything that they can do to just help you, you know, be a better you. And something else I really genuinely love about Talkspace is the affordability. It's a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. And instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7 and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. Honestly, you can't beat that. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code LOVEME and you'll get $100 off your first month and show support for the show. That's LOVEME at Talkspace.com. All right, let's get back to the show. But I wish, I mean, that is kind of the conversation that's happening right now. What, what people are literally screaming at the top of their lungs with Roe v. Wade right now with overturning that, just being like, you don't have to agree with this. Mm-hmm. You, if you don't want an abortion, you don't got to get one. But you need to respect the fact that if that's the choice I need to make for myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think also on that subject, too, whatever they just did maybe the moles are all going to rise now because I mean, as much as I, I, you know, and I I see all kinds of stuff too with like, you know, there's a lot of people who are saying, you know, well, women, you've talked about the welcome committee stuff happening Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, welcome to womanhood, you know, welcome to being a woman, welcome to being (laughs) also like welcome to like, you know, we've 
we've been experiencing this kind of, you know, oppression in our lives or like, you know, just mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff, you know, because women are kind of like, oh my God, I've never felt this in my life. And, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, they're like, welcome. And it's well, like, specifically, yeah, <laughs> it is tricky. Basically, I've seen it happen a lot with white women in particular because white women have a different relationship to patriarchy. Mm-hmm than a lot of, you know, communities of color and, you know, trans and queer folks because there's always this hope, (laughs) this lingering hope that maybe they will stand to benefit from the fruits of cis, white, hetero, patriarchal power. And the thing about white supremacy, and this is what has been effective in my coalition building, people need to know that white supremacy is so treacherous, it will eat its own young. Yeah. It literally- Don't give a fuck about any- Poor, white, rural families, you know, all of these different people- White supremacy hurts white people. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think that we even talk about that because, again, tribalism and identity politics and the specific things that, and and again, it's by design. It's specifically, just like no one talks about the Black Panthers, how they were in coalition with the Yellow Peril, which was like the Asian-American version of, you know, the Black Panthers, and they were organizing and all of these different groups. And they were... If you look in the 70s and 60s and each each major movement throughout the decades, the most successful ones have been the ones where people were unified through their 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 vision for a brighter, bigger future capacious enough to carry all of us. It's why they assassinated Dr. King, because Mm -hmm. Dr. King understood that, you know, and so Here we are in this moment, and I am probably more hopeful than ever. I, yes, it's painful. Yes, it hurts. Yes, I don't like the vitriol and the and the and the way that pain is being expressed. But the truth is that we can't heal what we don't reveal. And so it's so necessary. It's necessary for us to get messy and to be raw and for everything to be out in the open because we get to actually address these issues head on. And if we do it right, we won't have to keep circling back every, you know, quarterly or every election or every to then show up for a different community. All the moles can rise at once. Yeah. And again, it's not about like perfection mm-hmm. because it, what is that? Yeah. What is perfect? You know, <laughs> what is, what is, what is perfection? Who, who is the, you know, who's holding the, the compass here? Who's that? It's like, mm-hmm. it's time to just actually, actually yeah, there's a get thing. to the place where, where people are trying to go. You know, everyone's just been yelling at each other. And I'm like, isn't there a point to all of this? Aren't we trying to get somewhere? So should we start? <laughs> Should we start going there? It's so funny because I've been having that conversation a lot lately because we hear the word liberation thrown around so much, but very seldom can anybody tell you what liberation is or where it's located, the coordinates. It doesn't show up on Google Maps. <laughs> no. Like, where the fuck is liberation? And liberation isn't a far off destination, but liberation is in the noun. It's each and every moment that you take back to tap into joy as an act of resistance. It's in every moment that we show up and we build community with one another and we laugh and we share and we show up and we 
you know, create spaces where people feel held. It's opportunities that yield equity for women, people of color, queer and trans folks. Liberation throughout history, unfortunately, it's one of these things since the beginning of time that it's a pendulum. It swings back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So this idea that liberation is this finite, this like stage, this level, there's going to be like a huge graduation. We're going to walk across the stage. That's not happening. Right. That's not how life on earth works. And so it's up to us to define and to take, opportunities to create atmospheres and spaces that foster liberation. And I think that that's what this moment has been for me personally, because even when we talk about social media, there's a lot of discourse and organizing and things that are truly beneficial and fruitful on social media. Also, I happen to understand that social media fosters a hate economy that commodifies chaos and contention for monetary gain. And so what that means essentially is fuckery pays. And (laughs) I hope I can say that. (laughs) Fuckery pays. And so how do you build community and heal and love and transform through all of that? And my recipe is that I lean more into the nuances instead of the noise. I look for opportunities to think outside of the echo chamber and outside of like what people are saying. And because a lot of people don't know what to do more of us than not. So if you're someone that's listening and you're like, I want to show up and I want to advocate and I want to, but I just don't know how I don't have enough information. I don't. Congratulations. (laughs) Most of us don't. And I think that the best way to be an ally and, or an accomplice or however you want to frame your solidarity is to use your natural given talents, the things that come natural to you. So if you're an artist, if you're a musician, if you're, if you love plants, if you love, like I was looking into getting microblading because this weird thing's happening with my eyebrows. They're just disappearing. My eyebrows got caught up. No, they got caught up in the rapture. My eyebrows (laughs) are completely like, and so I was looking at this microblading site and they have like a charity where they actually do free microblading for people who've experienced sickness and like hair loss. And so that just goes to show you that you, there is no right or wrong way to show up. Amazing. And to advocate. It's whatever comes natural to you and whatever you pour all of your love into, it's going to be received because I think that that's the key ingredient that makes it transformative is the love. It's not the actual act. It's the intention and the love and the passion and the beauty in what you're doing. And whenever you share that with someone or a community or it's received as such. Yeah. And I think, yeah, because I think it it, it will come uh, yeah, like you said, come across that way as mm-hmm. not as, as a genuine thing, because I think everyone thinks it has to look just like the rest of it or just like someone else is doing or has to be, you know, but I think that's really nice. You know, I think, I think a lot of people will respond. To, yeah. And it's, it's so, and it's, it's beautiful. That simple. Yeah, but that, they, it is that simple. But the thing is, sadly, and see, this is even like a conversation, even with activists, like I am actually revisiting 
how I feel about the term because activist has become career-based. And even the word in itself, like, I don't see it as activism. I see it as survival. I didn't have a choice. And I almost see activism as someone who maybe has more privilege, who technically could look the other way. They could shrug it off and it wouldn't touch them in the moment, at least. Because again, like I said earlier, supremacy affects more than just the people. It affects all of us. But the truth is that for me, I resonate more with healer and light worker because it's one of those things where I'm not afraid of the pain. I literally, anything that you can think of, like some of the most painful experiences, like some of the most, like I've been through it all. And at the end of the day, I'm still here. Yeah. And so there's almost this this You're indescribable indomitability. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's this indomitability that's like, come at me, bro. Like there's mm. nothing, there is nothing you can do to me that has not been done. There's nothing you can call me, nothing you can, you can't hate on me any harder than I hated on myself oh. all these years. <laughs> so anything that anybody just... has, like, I actually had to get to that place where I had to separate other people's projections from my own reality and truth. And I think that that's what this moment is for a lot of people. You know, it's an opportunity because there's so much discourse and dialogue happening without even being directly in it, we get to sit with ourselves and check in with ourselves and say, where am I in this? And there are some moments when on paper, everybody was like, oh yeah, she's super amazing. She's like this. And and in 2019, I was in the middle of this series of, of shadow work and it was like, uh-oh, that's actually not your intention. Mm. It may have started that way, but now all of these other variables and factors have come into play. And the beauty is it's okay to change your mind. 100%. I think upon discovering new information or new thoughts or new feelings to enter into your life, you should adapt. You should change. Yeah. You should evolve. I started, (laughs) I went into my activism because it was the first time that I felt I had a voice. Mm -hmm. And then there was this profound acceptance from all these people who felt that I was a representative of their interest and everything that they were experiencing and going through. So it literally went from me just expressing my truth to now I felt I had to be the voice for everything and everyone. And I had to, you know, do it in this way and that way. And it was no longer. But you're not a politician. Exactly. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, <laughs> so much so that I'm actually the first openly trans person to run for California state office in the history of the. And amazing. In that, but I'm not a politician. But well, <laughs> the funny thing. but then you turn into one. But I mean, at that time you were just but like, that I'm was just out here. No, Sharing some- <laughs> what you just see, you arrived there. I'm just kind of jealous that you arrived to that, like understanding quicker than I did, because I, w- I literally went into politics. I was on a campaign trial with Elizabeth Warren and like all these people during the presidential campaign. I just doing all of these amazing things, which are beautiful, amazing things. But I was like, how the hell did I get here? Like, I didn't sign up for this. And when I tracked my steps and like I was like oh 
because here I am trying to earn people's love. Mm. My entire life, I have always tried most of the things that I did, even from my heart, it's because I wanted love. External validation has been important to you. Yes. Mm. And so this is the, the first time in my life that I chose me. Wow. For the first time in my life, I chose me. It even means that I'm having to set boundaries. Ooh, there are two things, two the Sesame Street B words of my lifetime, balance and boundaries. And I'm a Gemini, so you know. Oh, God. <laughs> that's already like, I already have the odds stacked against me. Oh and so I've been learning balance, mm-hmm. learning that, you know, I don't have to be all or nothing or I can just like, I can oscillate between different things and then but boundaries I didn't have any oh my what are those even I I, didn't grow up with those I love boundaries put them up baby everywhere boundaries all around me (laughs) and I I just didn't have them because at a young age again they weren't presented to me and because they weren't presented to me I had to go and take them and make them and build them. And I had my spiritual measuring tape out. I had to like, I had to really work for those. Yeah. And it's hard mm-hmm. because some days it comes easy, almost borderline like Meryl Street from Devil Wears Prada. Like he's like, damn, like she just like really like. That's smooth. <laughs> I've had to like go back and apologize to people like ruthless. Like, okay, like you could like, what if I told you that you can like implement a boundary and not be abusive? Like that's like, there's again, balance. See, mm-hmm. it's hand in hand. <laughs> because one, one part of you like really great at it, the Gemini, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what it is, is that sometimes like I have second, I have doubts and it's almost like, and again, being a survivor of abuse, there's a lot of gaslighting. There is a lot of second guessing yourself and, and having people plant doubt in your mind. And so Boundaries are so hard to enforce sometimes that I literally have to, like, it's almost like double dutch. Like, okay, the rope is going, the rope is going. Okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm double dutching. And I think sometimes that's where the toxicity can creep in because I'm forcing myself to do something that doesn't come natural and I have to push. Yeah, I get out that comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, once you find your groove in that, rhythm in that you're gonna just thrive it's get comfortable in the gray zone yeah it. yeah i mean this has been the, i could like honestly sit and listen to you just talk because because it is so inspiring it's so like it makes me feel hopeful you yeah i think you're incredible but we gotta end it with the rage text of the day mm-hmm. <laughs> um do you do you have a rage text that you would hypothetically like to send to anything Anyone. I think my rage text would go to the people who think that because they are witnessing my bodily transformation that they get to comment on it. So there is this, I have a driver that I I work with a lot and he's so, so sweet. He's only been here like a short time from Armenia. He is a super sweetheart, which is why it floored me when I was talking about like, I was moving and I was talking about caffeine and I was like, I'm having caffeine, but I usually don't since like I've been, you know, 
are working on myself. I've been vegan since 2014, but I actually started eating more raw in April of this year. But he didn't understand my journey of coming from almost 500 pounds and all that. And well, actually, I, I was over 500. And he was like, oh, yes, you're so beautiful. You lose weight and, and, and you will be. And it's just like, and then he went to tell me like about how even though eating raw fruit has sugar and all of, of these things. And so like I was literally grinding my teeth like these like veneers that I went all the way to Columbia to get like I was just so frustrated and the truth is that sometimes people's physical spiritual dietary whatever journey is just about them and their higher power and their highest self it has nothing to do with you by me being in my practice it's not an invitation for you to comment or for you to offer unsolicited advice it's this tricky thing where as a uh, I'm more uh, leaning into body neutrality. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, I'm learning to love on my body despite like w- what I look like, how much weight I lose, what I, this is about what makes me feel good. Yeah. And I always have to combat, like I'm always going back and forth with fat phobic people who are violent under the guise of concern for my health. And then on the flip side, there's like body positive people and fat activists who also sometimes shame me for making these decisions for my body. Like I'm also old enough to remember what body positivity meant. Leave fat people the fuck alone. Then it became all bodies are valid, which is my favorite. Do whatever feels right yes. for you and whatever elevates you and helps you reach your highest self. But somewhere along the way, the pendulum swung <laughs> and it became, if you diet, if you exercise, if you eat anything green or plant-based, that's diet culture and you're fat phobic and you're, and I'm just like, damn, I just want to walk outside for one day and not be consumed. Everyone mind your business. Yes. It, it costs you nothing. It, it's free. minding your fucking business is free. <laughs> it's gluten free, nut free, all of those that just yeah. mind your business. Yes. Please, everyone. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much. That was a great message to end on because <laughs> I preaching to the choir, everyone. All right. Well, thank you again so much. Make sure everyone checks out everything that you do on social media. What is yeah. your handle? I am Ashley Marie Preston, A-S-H-L-E-E Marie Preston on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-E-M Preston because my Name is too long for Twitter, but also Twitter's toxic. So I'm hardly on there. Check Instagram. So Instagram is the place to go. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, I love y'all. And just be kind to yourselves and others. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe. Leave a rating and review. Follow along on social at Music Kills Kate and tune in next week for an all new episode.